appreciate the presence of each of you. I uh, am sorry that Pastor Montoro can't be here. We did get to speak to each other shortly or briefly yesterday. Uh, he said he had a long, long trip ahead of him, so he wanted to get out of here this afternoon. So uh, I'm honored to be filling the pulpit, but not only that, I, I do want to bring the church a little bit of an update very quickly on the ministry in West Africa there in Guinea-Bissau, uh, West Africa. The Lord's blessed the work. I can say that in these last uh, two and a half years or so since I've seen you guys, the Lord has performed a mighty work in the country of Guinea. This is a country where presently uh, we are the only Baptist church in the city of Bissau with about uh, 800,000 people occupying that city, about two-thirds of the city uh, has no power. <laughs> uh, there's very little running water. It's a pretty massive place, but yet uh, we've seen, in spite of some of the circumstances and difficulties, we've seen God work and and uh, allow us to uh, find a foothold there. One of the uh, young pastors that is working with us, Brother Reuben, uh, he is a graduate of our seminary over in Cape Verde. He's from Guinea. And uh, we began the church earlier this year, uh, 2011, I should say. We're in a new one now. But uh, the work seems to be moving forward, and uh, we are also progressing with the school project that many of you know about, the 360,000 students that we've been trying to uh, give a copy of the Word of God to now for about three years, uh, about 180 tons of literature uh, that was printed for that work. And some of you continue to pray for that, and I appreciate it. We have uh, gotten somewhere around 66 tons of that literature already there, and a lot of it still remains due to the cost and some of those things. But uh, gradually, we have seen some progress, and we are thankful for what God's accomplishing there. Uh, my wife is with me tonight. She's on the very back row. She was downstairs helping me set up a projector. I've got to finish here and go downstairs and preach Portuguese. The uh, last couple of days, we've been uh, with the Portuguese church downstairs, and that's been a blessing also. Um, I have a, a burden on my heart tonight, a message specifically that I'd like to share with you from the book of Galatians, chapter number 6, if you could be turning your Bibles there. I want to give a special thanks to Miss Frida for the wonderful lunch that we shared at her home today. I think when I get to heaven, I may just recommend she have some part in preparing the marriage supper of the lamb, amen, because that was some pretty good eating. I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> she did a tremendous job, and I, I appreciate the kind hospitality that she extended us today, and uh, looking forward to what God will do in your hearts tonight through the preaching of the Word of God. I hope you've come with your hearts open, amen, and prepared, ready to receive what it is that the Lord has for each of us individually. Amen. This isn't to be seen as just another service or just another mere gathering, but we should perceive it as, as a, an appointment with God. Amen. An opportunity to meet in the presence of the Lord. The songs were, were encouraging, were great, and I, I pray now that the Word of God would do something special as well. We've laid some prayer cards at the back table for some of you who may not have one of our prayer cards. We do minister among the Portuguese-speaking nations. Uh, we have works now planted in Brazil, also Mozambique uh, Seminary in Cape Verde, and also uh, two churches that have been established there. Our son and daughter-in-law are, are also helping in a ministry along with five other families, and uh, we thank the Lord for these families that participate and that lend um, their gifts and their, 
their spiritual energies as well to the furtherance of the gospel among the eight Portuguese-speaking nations of the world. That totals somewhere around 340-plus million people that speak that language. Our approach to the mission of Preach is somewhat a, a little different in that we focus ethno-linguistically, we say, uh, trying to reach into an ethnic group based on language. That's enabled us to uh, write materials, print materials, um, translate materials that, that can be distributed across uh, several continents and several places at the same time. Uh, we believe in effectively getting the gospel out. I believe it is an urgent matter. Amen. I believe the church needs to uh, needs to embrace the idea of that urgency a little better because we have we have the tendency as Christians at times to become very lethargic, very apathetic, very slow in in, in response to these needs that we see. There's so many needs. Uh, we turn the television on. There's multiple things that uh, that bombard our senses, that that touch our emotions, and sometimes those emotions get somewhat calloused. I guess you could say at what all we see living in a city as large as New York. I'm sure there's, uh, in addition to that, even more so than for others that uh, you see so much in the in the masses that are here. That oftentimes, if we're not careful, even as Christians, we lose the compassion of Christ. And I pray that God will give us a renewed vision of that even tonight in the thought that the Lord's given me. From Galatians chapter number 6. Look in your Bible if you could with me for a few moments. The idea here is that I'm going to preach fast. You listen fast. And hopefully we'll both finish at the same time. Amen. Uh, the problem generally being I preach fast. Everybody listens slow and they're done listening before I'm done preaching. I pray that not be the case tonight. But that you'll hear me out in what the Lord's laid upon my heart here. Notice. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap Life everlasting. Notice verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Father, tonight we come into your presence once again in prayer, thanking you, Lord, for the privilege that we own to be able to Call you our Father. Lord, the privilege that it is to open up the sacred scriptures tonight and pronounce the words of truth. Lord, certainly we feel ourselves unworthy at this responsibility. But God, privileged to be able to share the truth of the word of God. I ask you, dear Lord, in these next few moments, might you take these words, Lord, the fe these feeble words, perhaps even words that fall from lips of clay. God, might you anoint them in a special an unctionizing way. Might the Spirit of heaven, Lord, have his liberty, Lord, to work and move and walk uh, up and down these pews and minister to the hearts of, of your own people. We ask and pray these things in your blessed name. Amen and amen. Very quickly, verse number six, let him that is taught in the word communicate. I think this word interesting, the word communicate, it's used throughout scripture with a little bit of duplicity in some places. Paul uses the word communicate in one sense in, in, in the communication of a message 
Paul talks about the communication of, of the message of the gospel. But in other places, Paul uses, as I said, with a little duplicity, the word in that he, he refers to communication in this context that those were men, for example, in Philippi that communicated unto his needs. So it, there's the communication of a message, and then there's this, this context of, of communicating of material things. And when I look at here this verse, I, I'm, I, I'm grieved sometimes as I... As I examine scripture such as this, that for some reason or another, we manage to look over the context of these passages very easily. We're very quick at times to quote verses like verse number seven. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes making that an application, but many times failing to unite it with its real context. And we've got to look at verse number six. And, and some of these prior verses and, and, and really examine the heart of the Apostle Paul in that these things all tie together in a very unique way. He says in verse number 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And another word of, of continuation, he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. I don't know if you're one... That marks in your Bible, but if, if you could follow me tonight for just a few minutes, I want to show you something the Lord spoke to my heart very, very intently about in this matter of well-doing. Be not weary in well-doing. The next verse, as we have there for opportunity, let us do good. Or could I say, let us do well. The context continues even from verse number nine, this matter of doing good. Now, folks, I know all of you, I know your pastor, I know this church, I know the foundations of this church, theologically speaking, and I understand uh, that, that there's probably not a single soul in here tonight that would disagree with what I'm about to say in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all know that it is not through this matter of doing good works or doing good deeds that you and I are saved. That is not how salvation is attained. We all know that tonight. We know that uh, not by the works of men's righteousness, you know, are we saved, but through his amazing grace, amen, and the precious blood of the Lamb of God, do we, do we enjoy tonight the, the salvation of the Lord? And, and yet it seems that as, as I've journeyed in my, in my years of, of Christian faith and tried to walk with God uh, over these years, there's some things that, that I've heard, I guess, off in a distance, I've heard them up a little close even at times, is, is this issue of a, of a social gospel. You and I all know that, that there is a social gospel being preached out there that eliminates the grace of God, eliminates the, the, the divine work of the Spirit of God, and puts all of the burden upon humanitarian effort and good works and good deeds. And I, would, I could probably adventure to say tonight that this city is full of people who believe that it is through the performance of good works or the simple act of doing good that somehow, some way, someday, they're going to find favor with God. And you and I know that not to be the truth. It's not through the performance of good things. But why do we see verses such as this where Paul would say, let us not be weary in well-doing. Let, as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good. I, I believe not only here, along with some other verses we're going to look at here in a moment, Paul cast us this vision of a balance that needs to be acquired in the life of every believer of, uh, in every child of God. If we're not careful, church, what happens sometimes, we get, 
we, we, it's like steering so hard to keep from going in a ditch that we wind up on the other side of the road in another ditch. You know, it, it's like we, we don't want to do this, so we steer away from it so drastically that we, that we wind up over here. As, there's a lot of Christians who believe today they have no need to do any good or to exhibit any kind of goodness or kindness to this world simply because they know that that doing good is not what saves them, but it's being saved by the amazing grace of God. Therefore, uh, they recoil. They, they draw back sometimes. They, they step away from this duty and this responsibility that we all possess to do the work of God. Might I say it like this tonight? The Bible says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. You know the verse perhaps by heart. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Unto good works. The very reason for which you and I were brought into God was that we might become partakers of His good nature. And we know that God does not just perform good, but that He is good and in Him is the essence of all goodness. God does not just go about uh, uh, speaking about good things, but he actually performs those good things and exhibits them in a way that the world can see. Tonight, I, I believe, first of all, there's just four simple little thoughts I'd like to share with you. If we were then created in Christ Jesus unto good works, and these works, according to Scripture here, they were before ordained that we should walk in them, these good works possess such an importance to them that we ought to be walking in these good preordained works of God. These are certain certain deeds, certain tasks, certain things that God has designed for us to do. Do you believe tonight that God's a big enough God to design the whole workload from the beginning of the world to the end of the world? I, I believe that he's that big. Amen. I, I believe he knows exactly what he wants done, when he wants it done, and how he wants it done. I believe as you study even the life of our Lord as he was upon this earth, there are times where he, he reflected to his disciples. He, he constantly said, I have come to do the work of the Father. A specific work that God had him to do. He said, look, don't, don't steer me away from my work. On one occasion, he looked to one of his disciples and called him uh, Satan simply because he was trying to take him away from that preordained work of God. And might I say, Christian, there's an awesome responsibility that falls upon our shoulders when it comes to these good works. There are some things that God wants to be done. He expects you and I to do them. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your, your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Can we safely conclude tonight then that when we're not letting our light so shine, men do not see the good works, and ultimately God is not glorified. In other words, this glorification of God is directly tied to the doing good responsibility that we, that we all individually have. I don't know what the sermon title would be best for the sermon tonight. It would scare most Baptists to death to say that I had a do-good message. But I believe in a Christian kind of way, not in a salvation context, but in the sense that you and I as Christians... We have a responsibility to do good. Let me show you. I, I believe we're not saved. We are saved, I should say, apart from good works. But the Bible says that we are saved unto good works. These good works don't save us, but we're saved to perform them. There is a purpose and a principle in that doing good. God's 
works are the aim of our salvation and truly the evidence of our faith. Work has never produced salvation, but salvation always produces work. Have you ever noticed that uh, no men, no one, no man is justified by works, but a justified man always seems to roll his sleeves up and get to work. You ever notice that? That when he's truly been born again by the grace of God, the work of God doesn't scare him. He becomes instantly involved. Works are the consequences, not the cause. They're the fruit, if you will, and not the root. In other words, we can say it like this tonight. That you must be a Christian before you can live as a Christian. You must be good before you can do good. I want to give you four simple things. If you're taking any kind of notes tonight, I've got to hurry. First of all, I want to show you the impossibility of doing good. The impossibility of doing good. Two verses real quick. Let us look at Third John very quickly. Third John, verse number 11. Notice what the Bible says. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that, what does it say? He that doeth good is of God. But he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Did you read it with me? Let's read it one more time. Beloved, follow not that which is evil. I'm in 3 John verse number 11. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God. Notice another verse in Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter 3. This one you perhaps may even have memorized. Romans chapter number 3. What does it say? Verse number 10. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 14, you'll find these same phraseologies. There is none that doeth good. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And, and, and the fool is one that does no good. Now, what does all that mean, church? What does it mean tonight that the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit of God that indwelt you and I, He imparted unto us His goodness, His nature. Now, isn't that the truth? That we, we possess the nature of God tonight. Uh, there is no goodness in myself. I was imputed the goodness. I was imputed the righteousness of God. So, unless I walk in the Spirit, there is no possibility of me ever performing that which is good. In other words, the only way that true goodness can be performed is that I be in God. The only way that real good things, as God sees and determines good things to be good things, the only way that can, can actually be deemed before God Almighty as a good work is that it come through Him. Now think about this with me. In Hollywood's definition of people that do good. I mean, we hear the terms do-gooders and all this. You know, people give a million dollars to build a cancer society or, you know, they sign million-dollar checks, wind up on television, get congratulated to the healed on what all they've done, and this is deemed by the world as something good. But does God see that as good? We, even as, as Christians at times, we look at that and say, oh, that's a good thing. But does God see that as good? Is it eternal good? Does it have eternal value in eternal goodness? Are you with me so far? What I'm trying to say to you tonight, church, is that 
only those that possess the good nature of God truly possess biblically the ability to perform eternal good. In other words, when we talk about evangelizing the world, it isn't McDonald's or Quaker State or all these other sponsors that gets the job done. It's God's people that does God's work for God's reasons, God's way. In other words, the real performance of good can only be done by those that possess the goodness of God. In Galatians chapter number 5, he talks about one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. What is the definition truly of the performance of good or that which is good? The Bible says also in Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. In all that is deemed godly good, the Spirit of God is in the middle of it. The Spirit of God is the administrator of it. He's the performer of it. He does it through vessels, through instruments, and submissive, obedient servants such as you and I. His good is accomplished because he gave you his good nature. He, impart, he made you a partaker of his divine nature. Therefore, that which you perform, you perform out of an ability that's been God-given. Can I get an amen? So... My first point, the impossibility of doing good. There exists that phenomena. There exists that issue that there are some who are not able to do good, even though they think they're doing good. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 says something to the effect like this. I hope I can quote it. I've got so much Portuguese in my head for the last two days. The Bible says there'll be some that come to him. And I think it's verse 22 that says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out many devils? And they begin to list out to God all their good deeds. And he responds to them this way. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, the last time I checked casting out devils or preaching the word of God or performing these many wonders and mighty works, all of that seemed to be something good. But why would God look at such a thing as preaching or as, as running the devil out of town and all of these other issues that he lists there as something related to a work of iniquity? Have you ever thought about it? How could it be a work of iniquity? Well, first of all, we've got to realize that what is deemed before God as good has to initiate with God. It has to come through him. It's, it's a matter of authority. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of, of, of his rule and his kingship and his reign over us. So, first of all, tonight we see the impossibility of doing good. Notice, secondly, in Romans chapter 7, just flip over a couple of pages. Perhaps these verses are also familiar to most. Notice with me verse number 18 in your Bible. Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. For I know, this is Paul speaking, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not, Paul said. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. You, you with me? Can I hear an Amen. He says, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Notice verse 21. I find then a law. Watch what Paul said. I find then a law that when I would, what's those next two words? When I would do good, 
evil is present with me. First of all, we've seen the impossibility of doing good. But notice with me, secondly, the implications of doing good. There are some implications that every time you step up to the plate, so to speak, and you want to do what God tells you to do, or you want to do whatever the Holy Spirit might be nudging you to do, wherever you may be, fel- be feeling the guidance or the leading or the, the, the push of the Holy Ghost, you, you, you begin to move in that direction and automatically, immediately, evil is present. To discourage, to give you an alternative, to disrupt your thinking, maybe to distract or even delay you, In that step of obedience. Is that not the truth? Every time we try to do right. It's just like it gets super hard. Doesn't it? Or has that just happened to me? I don't know. Every time I I step up and say. Lord you know okay. This is the right thing to do. This is what I ought to do. This is how it ought to be done. And I, I go to perform that which is good. Evil is present. There is that implication. There is that. That. That problem. In that every time we would. We would endeavor to do the right thing that evil is present there to hinder us in the performance of that right. Notice thirdly tonight, not only do we see the implications, but let me show you back in our text. Look in your Bible there. I want you to see this very closely. Take your Bible. Look in your Bible. Galatians chapter number. Galatians chapter number six. In our text, we read it. Uh, Maybe you've already caught it. But in, in Galatians chapter number 6, notice what he says. As we have, therefore, opportunity. By the way, I was reading after a, a man named John Owen from the 16th century. John Owen said that opportunity possesses the same ability, the same power, as does temptation. In that temptation can reveal the spiritual temperature of a man the same way opportunity can reveal the spiritual temperature of a man. What does he mean by that? He meant that as when you are confronted with sin or lust or whatever it is, a problem that would remove you from the presence of God, you will either choose to resist the devil or you'll choose to yield yourself to that temptation. But what he's saying is the way that temptation possesses the ability to reflect the real spiritual condition of your heart, so does opportunity. Opportunity, when you're presented with vision, you're presented with the ability or or the opportunity, I should say, to do something for God. And you step back or you recoil, you, you don't perform that which God may be nudging you to do. Then you're reflecting there again the temperature, the true temperature of your spiritual heart. He said, but let us do good unto who? All men. I want to show you thirdly, not only do we see the impossibility of doing good, not only do we see the implications when we would step up and try to perform that which is good, but thirdly, look with me at the impartiality of this goodness. He says it's got to be done to all men. In other words, we can't, as our brother said in, 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 the, in, in the announcements about passing out tracts, you can't go around saying, you know, they got a mean face. They don't get a tract today. You know, you, you, don't, have that, you don't have that opportunity. We, we've, got, we've got to do good unto all men, the Bible says. And as I, look, as I look at the definitions, the biblical definitions of these words 
of th- this word to do good, even as you study the foundations of the word, it means the performance of good without the expectation of any return. In other words, we, we're, not, we're not given in, in the scriptures here the option to go up and say, you know, if I help this brother, then, you know, somehow, some way that situation's bound to come around and scratch me in the back. You know, this would be a good opportunity for me to show some kindness. Come on now, give me a nod, amen, something. You know I'm telling the truth. A lot of times we select how we're going to do good, but that's not the doing good of the Bible. The doing good of the Bible is impartial. It's the performance of good as God performed goodness upon our wretched souls. We too should look upon a world with compassion and perform this same good. The impartiality. There's other places, 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Similar words are spoken again by the Apostle Paul in regard to this need. He says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and unto all men. I don't have the time this evening to go into great depth or detail of all that I'd like to say in regard to this matter of doing good. But there are multiple verses that I would encourage you to read. Perhaps one found here in in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44, I believe it is. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good unto them which hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Over and over and over and over again, these two simple words, do good, are replete in the word of God. And for some, for some reason or another, we've managed to s- simply step over them and only observe them at our, at our own convenience. Might I say lastly tonight, not only do you see the impartiality of doing good, but I also see this slight problem of the implementation of doing good. For sake of time, I, I want you to just turn to one verse here with me in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. I'm in Hebrews 13, 15. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Notice verse 16. But to do good, he says, and to communicate, forget not. It was Spurgeon that said some 150 years ago that the Old Testament word for back, was backsliding and the New Testament word was forgetting. I thought that a little comical in that today I hear a lot of Christians say, well, I just forgot. We do forget, do we not? But that forgetting has a consequence to it. That, that forgetting, as Paul would say, has, has a price. There's the impossibility, there's the implications, there's this issue of impartiality. But how do we implement this good? Well, notice there's three things that I find in direct connection to doing good in the Word of God. As I researched the Word from cover to cover, it basically fell into three separate categories. And I think you need to know these categories. The first category was this matter of faith. In other words, Those that do not know God, legitimately do not know God, they've never been born again by the amazing grace of God. There is no possibility in in a thousand lifetimes that they can do any good that would ever bring them 
into a position of merit before an almighty God. In tone, it's, in tone that's Portuguese. <laughs> uh, then, there again, it is an issue of faith. This issue of doing good is connected to salvation in that regard. But secondly, we also see, even in the text here in Hebrews chapter 13, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. Remember what I said at the beginning of the message in regard to the duplicity of this word communicate. Here again is another reference to that, that he's saying, look, you, you can't forget to give. You can't get weary in your doing good. You can't get weary in your, in your benevolence. You can't get weary in, in, in finding opportunities to share the goodness of God through your life. But is that not the truth that most of us find ourselves there anymore very quickly? Imagine with me tonight. Imagine if the, the television news was to, was to read that 26,500 people had, had fallen from the sky on 100 different airlines, 100 airplanes had fallen from the sky, 26,500 people were dead. Can you imagine the shock? Most of us would begin to think twice about traveling by airplanes, for sure. But let's just say that 26,500 people were dead in a single day. Parliaments would convene, nations would begin to, to come together to try to discover how did this tragedy happen. Who is to blame for such a disaster. What happened? I mean, new policies would be written, but I would say probably for the most part, most of God's people, most churches would jump to action. Somehow, some way, we would begin to, to, to try to meet the need that this atrocity had caused. But let's just say we woke up Tuesday morning and there was the same news. Another 100 airplanes had fallen from the sky. Wednesday morning. The same fact. Let me just ask the simple question. How many mornings would it take for us to become weary in our well-doing? Probably not many. The fact is there are 26,500 kids that die every day on the continent of Africa along just because of poor drinking water. That's a fact. That happens now. But I could give you statistics that would stagger the mind for a moment. And the truth is that minutes from now, you would probably have forgotten them. Certainly by tomorrow morning, there would be such an after, uh, there would be no thought whatsoever about such atrocities. I think there's something lacking in the people of God when we have become so weary in doing good. And there's so many verses that relate to such a topic. He says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We know that there is a responsibility placed upon us to do good. Not for our salvation, but that men may see those good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Have you become weary in your doing good? Have you become weary in your well-doing and then last, the, the last category, not only do we see this in the category of faith, not only do we see it in this category of finances into doing good of Hebrews 13, also in Galatians chapter 6, but we see it lastly in this category of those that are of the household of faith, the family of God. Many times there are needs, large needs, human needs, 
right on the very same pew you're sitting and we fail to see them. People come in and out of those doors day in and day out with broken hearts, broken lives. Their electric soon to be turned off. They've been without a job for six months. I don't know the, the problems, but yet opportunity after opportunity after opportunity presents itself for us to do good and we do nothing. God help us tonight to be renewed in our spirit toward the performance of that which is good. Paul said, every time when I would perform that which is good, evil is present. So I can give you these words of caution. When you step up to do this good, beware because evil will be present. I've had people say, you know, we started to do this and started to help, but it just didn't seem right. Of course it didn't. It was the exhibition of the spirit and the nature of God in a dark world, and Satan's going to do everything he can to shut it down. I ask you to take these words tonight. Let them sink into your heart. I'm sorry that I have to go so quickly downstairs. But I pray that you'll take these words. Pray for our ministry. Pray for the Pritchard family as we endeavor to reach the Portuguese nations with the gospel of Christ. Amen. Thank you.